morning, Hillcrest Baptist Church. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we, we bow before you, for we are in great need. We do not have the words or the power to declare the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ as we ought. And so we need the Holy Spirit, and we pray earnestly now that you would magnify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning in our midst, for we know that as Christ is glorified, he glorifies you. We look to you, and we depend on you, and ask that you would do this in our hearts and in our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently we've had a seminary cafe where we spent five weeks in the book of Revelation. And as I was doing research and chatting to people about the book, I realized that there is a lot of confusion and in fact fear as believers read the book. It seems that the, the beast and the false prophet hold sway. There's this thing called the mark of the beast that if you get it, you seem to be sunk have I got it already? Am I going to get it? Are my kids going to get it? Christians seem to be persecuted and killed in the book of Revelation. What's going on there? And so it really seems as you read through the book that the beast and the false prophet are running the show, empowered by the dragon who is Satan, and Jesus is trying to catch up, right? He's, he's picking up the broken pieces of the church behind the beast and the false prophet. They seem to be leading the race and Jesus is panting behind coming last. And I came to realize that Revelation chapter 5 is, I believe, one of the climatic, climatic and controlling visions that we need to have in our mind as we read through the rest of the book of Revelation. It is a controlling vision that helps us understand and have the rest of the book in perspective. And so I made a note to myself that the next time I had an opportunity to preach, I'd preach from Revelation 5, and here we are this morning. So Revelation chapter 5 gives us what I believe a big picture that we are to approach the book of Revelation with, and as we will see later, the, our, the whole of our lives. It orientates our minds so that we understand the events that we are reading. So Revelation chapter 5 gives us the big picture and orientates us for understanding God and his purposes. Just like when you name a church. Have you ever thought about it? When you, you name a church, if you had to start a church and give it a name, you want it to be a good name, don't you? It must give you a big picture of what you believe about God and, and about the world and about Christ. Um, you must choose the name carefully because as people think about coming to visit your church, they're going to look at the name and they're going to get certain impressions from that name. There are things in the name that you'd want to emphasize. So some of the popular 
um, words that people will use in, in a name would be grace, or Emmanuel, or Trinity, or gospel, because those are, those are big picture things, and, and it helps you orientate yourself, what is this church about? What are they wanting to emphasize? So some people just don't think about their church name, in my view. So if we can just have a slide here or some Baptist church names that I don't think people thought through very well. So if we can have the first one. Okay, so I don't think they're, they're not a Reformed Baptist church, right? Um, they'd be something else. Okay, another one. Greater Second Baptist church. I think they had a glitch in their self-confidence as, as they were naming the church. Um, the next one. Okay, so that, that's got to be the compromised church on the, left, on the list, eh? Um, they only got there halfway. Um, yes, they need a lot more eschatology in their theology, don't they? Um, certainly. And then the last one, First United Separated Church. I think they went through an identity crisis as they, as they named their church. So perhaps they didn't think too carefully about the impression they're giving with their church name. Then there are some fear-based church names. Bring up the first one. Okay. <laughs> Run for your life ministries. Um, one wonders, so what kind of Christians would be attracted to a church like this? And what would be their emphasis? What would be their orientation towards Christianity? And the last one. Okay, so... So this church is all about the devil, right? And, and trying to avoid him and trying to get to heaven. Like the, the, the name gives you a sense of desperation, doesn't it? doesn't give you much, much confidence. And so if we had to ask believers, so if you had to rename the book of Revelation, what, what, would you, what name would you give it? In the Bible, it's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of the names we'd come up with, fear-based names. So, run for the hills. Maybe as we read it, that's what we think. Oh, boy, my family and I, we're just running for the hills. Another one, um, escape the beast. That's what the whole book is about. The whole orientation is just about trying to avoid the beast. Another one, don't get the mark. You know, that's number one priority. And where is Jesus in all, in all of this? That's how people think about a lot of Christians think about the book of Revelation and it reflects some level of confusion and some level of fear. So Revelation chapter 5 now is absolutely fundamental in setting the scene and the context for, for understanding the rest of the book. In the seminary cafe, I made a case for the fact that Revelation chapter 6 onwards is in fact for the church and for the church age. The book of Revelation is written to the church for the church to understand the events that were happening to it, that are happening to it, and to the world around them. So in fact, what we're going to find this morning is that Revelation chapter 5 gives us as believers a big perspective and orientation for us to understand the world that we live in, the events that are happening, and the church. So our aim this morning is to understand the Lordship of Christ from Revelation chapter 5 so that we can be inspired as believers to boldness 
and confidence. Let's read together. Revelation chapter 5 from, the, from verse 1 through to chapter 6 and verse 8. Doesn't make any difference if you haven't attended the seminary cafe, um, you'll still be able to track with this sermon. Let's read together the word of God. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Then he opened the second seal, and I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, 
And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So this morning we're going to jump into this text and examine it under three headings. Those headings are the Lamb and the Scroll, the second heading, Christ, the Lord of Judgment, and the third heading, Christ, the Lord of Redemption. So, let's start with our first heading, the Lamb and the Scroll, or Christ and the Scroll. So what is with the scroll? Okay, it's obviously a big deal in this vision, really big. This scroll represents the plans and purposes of God. It is written on the inside and the outside, and it is sealed with seven seals. So in here, in the scroll, it represents God's plans and purposes, and it is in the hand of the Father who sits on the throne. Now, the reason why I say the Father is that the early visions of the book of Revelation are clearly Trinitarian. You have him who sits on the throne. You have the Lamb before the throne, and it says the Lamb has got seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, or the Greek could be translated the sevenfold spirit of God. Okay? So here is this scroll in the hand of the Father on the throne. It represents his plans and his purposes for the world and for the church. And there is no one who is worthy to open it. And so John, the Bible says here that John weeps loudly because no one was found to open it. Now, John is not weeping. He's not really cut up by the fact that, oh no, now we're not going to get somebody to open the scroll so we can take a peek into it to see kind of what's going to happen in an inquisitive kind of a way. No, if somebody doesn't take that scroll and open it, what it means is that God's plans and purposes are not going to be brought to fruition on the earth. God's plans and purposes are not going to come to pass. So this is a big deal. So when finally Christ, the lion from the tribe of Judah, takes the scroll out of the hand of him who sits on the throne, heaven erupts with, with great glory and with praise. Because what it means is now Christ has the power and the authority to enact and execute God's plans and purposes on the earth. This is a most important vision because it helps you understand what is happening in the book of Revelation. More importantly, it's telling you who is in control. 
and who has got dominion and authority. It is the most momentous vision in this book, I believe. How do we know it's so momentous? Well, look at the praise in verse 8. We are told that the whole of heaven erupts with praise and glory. The four living creatures in verse 8 and the 24 elders, they fall down and worship the Lamb. But not only that, in verse 11, we're told that there are myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels around the throne who are giving praise and glory. But not only that, in verse 13, we are told that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every creature in the sea gives glory and worship to him who sits onto the throne and to the Lamb. This is big. It's massive. And it is significant. And the praise is overwhelming. It is overwhelming in this vision. I don't know if you remember the 1995 Rugby World Cup. Some of you who are old enough for that. It was amazing. Held in South Africa, the first the first World Cup that South Africa was allowed to participate in after apartheid in international sport, South Africa versus New Zealand. I mean, this is going to be a good one. At Ellis Park in South Africa as well, it was packed. Nelson Mandela was there. What, what an event. And it was a tough game. And we were on the edge of our seats throughout the whole game. They went into overtime. And it was right near the end. It was 12 all. 12 all. Everybody was just waiting for that one side to score the final points with a try or a drop goal. And I think New Zealand had two attempts. And you can just imagine, as, as that guy dropped kick, just the whole of Ellis Park and South Africa went quiet. Just a hush as you just watch that ball going, and it missed, <laughs> it missed. And just that sigh of relief. And then the ball was passed to Joel Stransky. Okay, for those of you who are a bit younger, Joel Stransky is South African, let's get that right. So he's a South African. The ball was passed to Joel Stransky, and he launched a drop goal. And we were just watching, weren't we? We were just watching. And as that ball went in between those posts, South Africa erupted, didn't they? I mean, Ellis Park must have erupted. I mean, okay, so I'm not a guy who gets very excited about rugby, generally. I do watch a bit, I enjoy the game. But I was on the edge of my seat. And when that ball went through the posts, I found myself, I was standing up, pumping my arms. Yo, baby! And I don't even know what yo, baby means, but it was, it was exhilarating. For those people who were at Ellis Park, can you imagine? I don't know how many South Africans were there. 20, 30, 40,000 South Africans. As that ball went over, just that eruption of praise and shouting and noise. And that is feeble compared to what we find happening here in the throne room of God. 
praise and adoration of unbelievable magnitude, an event that is unparalleled. I mean, one of these angels, it says when it speaks, its voice is like thunder and the earth shakes. I mean, thousands of these angels shouting, absolutely amazing. Because this, you see, is a big deal. What it is telling us is that now the Lamb holds the scroll. He has got power and authority and dominion to open the scroll and to execute all of God's plans and purposes for the world. Just have a look at how that works out. Straight away in chapter 6 and verse 1, we are introduced to a series of judgments. Look at the language. Now I, now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And so these four seals are broken by Christ. He is executing these judgments. And though the first two represent military conquest and conflict. And so Christ breaks open the seals. And what does earth experience? War. Conflict. I mean, since the time of Christ in the early church, we've had two world wars. We've had multiple civil wars. We've had wars between nations, and we have had conflict on this planet. Why? Where did they come from? Were they random events of nature or just the greed of men? This is the Lamb executing the judgments of God and God's purposes on the world. doesn't come from anyone else but Him. The beast and the false prophet are not running the show. They are not determining what is happening in this book and in history, the Lord Jesus Christ is. He controls the universe, and we see here is that as he opens the scrolls, he is Lord of judgment, and judgments hit the earth as the Lamb breaks the seals and executes them. So this taking of the scroll and opening up means that the Lord Jesus Christ commands and controls the whole of history. He is the one who is bringing God's plans to pass and the events of Revelation 6 onwards and what I believe refer to this church age and to us and the things happening to us, the Lord Jesus is commanding all of this. But I have a question for you. It's a question that has bugged me for years and I only got a satisfactory answer to my soul um, this last time I was studying the Revelation. Okay, so given that the scroll is in the Father's hand, why can't he bring his purposes to pass? He is God, fully God, all-powerful. How come the scroll stays closed and sealed in his hand and somebody else needs to be found who can open the scroll and bring his purposes to pass? Surely God 
the Father can bring his purposes to pass. The answer to that is given in chapter 5, verse 9. Look at the text. And they sang a new song, saying to the Lamb, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. Why? Why is it Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who has to do this? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people to God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Do you see that in the Trinity, the Father did not go to earth to die for sinners. The Holy Spirit did not become incarnate to go to earth to die for sinners. It was the role of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, to go to earth and to accomplish redemption and to draw in this great people for God. So in those plans and purposes of God is redemption. And the only way that that scroll could be opened would have been one of the persons of the Trinity to go and accomplish redemption. And that was not the Father, it was not the Spirit, although they had roles to play within that, it was the Son of God. And so that is why he is the only one who is able to take the scroll out of the hand of the Father to break it open and to accomplish God's plans and purposes in this world because those plans and purposes have got redemption mixed in with all the judgments that are taking place on the earth. And so we have this great rapture of praise, the glory of Christ. And so judgment and redemption, you will see as you read the book of Revelation, are woven together in this book, and the Lamb is executing all of it. So, just to summarize this first point, why is Revelation chapter 5 so important for us as believers? Everything that happens in Revelation chapter 6 onwards, which I believe refers to the church age and to us, is speaking of the power and glory and lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The dragon, Satan, is not running the show here on earth. The beast and the false prophet are not directing events in the book of Revelation. Jesus is. Jesus is not trying to catch up to them. He is not coming last in the race, trying to out of breath. He is not trying to pick up the pieces of the church left by the havoc that the beast and the false prophet are creating. No, this vision controls our understanding of the book of Revelation and of the world around us. Christ is in control and that everything that happens comes through his dominion and authority and direct control. Our second point. What I'm going to do now is just unpack those two areas of Christ's lordship which we see so prominent in the book of Revelation just very briefly Christ, the Lord of Judgment, and Christ, the Lord of Redemption. They are going to be a bit shorter than the first point, so you don't have to worry that you're going to be here till late afternoon. 
Christ, the Lord of Judgment, our second heading. If you think that Jesus Christ is all and only about grace and mercy, you are very mistaken. I'll say that again. If you think that Jesus Christ is all and only about grace and mercy, you are very mistaken. The book of Revelation and this vision that we have seen portrays him as the Lord of judgment. The Lord of judgment. The Lord Jesus said this about himself in John chapter 5. I will read just two or three verses. John chapter 5, the Lord Jesus said this in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And then if you cast your eye down to verse 27, and he, the Father, has given him, Christ, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. It is not just speaking about the final judgment. It is speaking about the judgments that we see in the world today. God is judging the world even as we speak. These, four, these first four seals that I read for you are judgments of military conquest, judgments of conflict, wars, conflict in families. That third seal, which you might be wondering about, what has it got to do with the scales and stuff like that and the price of barley? What is happening there, it refers to scarcity or famine because those prices are greatly inflated. So if I had to para paraphrase um, the third seal for you, it's like you're going to pick and pay and paying 150 rand for a loaf of bread. If you thought inflation was rampant, that's, that's hectic. That is the price of food in a famine. And that's what the third seal is all about. A judgment from God. The fourth seal is about death. And there it says a massive number of people on this earth experience death because the Lamb has broken the seal and is executing a judgment of God. In the world today, 2020 and 2021, I don't know if you're aware of it, we probably don't feel it, there is massive famine in the world. South Sudan, Yemen, parts of Nigeria, Burkina Faso, People facing critical food shortages due to violence, COVID, the climate, deteriorating economies. Why? Why is that famine in the world today? Revelation 6 tells us Christ broke open the seal and is executing a general judgment of God against the world in rebellion to him. Today, they estimate 174 million people are in what we call phase three or worse of critical food shortage. General judgments in the world today from the hand of Christ. 
And that's just the first four seals. We go on and we see there the bowl judgments, there the trumpet judgments, all executed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not random events that are happening in our world just due to climate change or some natural phenomena. Not events that happen just because of the bloodthirstiness or the greed of men. Yes, they may be secondary causes, but the primary cause is the Lord Jesus Christ raining down God's judgments from the throne on a world in rebellion. He's in control and he is running the show. He is not playing second fiddle to anyone, especially not Satan and the beast. So, is it all judgment? No, praise God. There is grace and redemption. And so we come to our third and final heading, Christ, the Lord of Redemption. And so we've already seen this in the fifth chapter, haven't we? The reason why the Lord Jesus Christ could come and break open the scroll and execute God's purposes is because those purposes include redemption. And he is the person of the Trinity who effected that on the earth. And so in this book of great events and turbulence, we see that the Lord Jesus, through all of that, he's redeeming a great multitude. Look just as one description, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And so we find Christ, the Lord of redemption, throughout all these um, events, these staggering events in the world, in the book of Revelation, he's drawing out people to be saved. I just want to mention a few more points around Christ, the Lord of redemption, because so many are confused about this redemption. So much of Christendom thinks health, wealth, and prosperity. So Christ is redeeming me. Everything's going to go smoothly. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to be healthy. It's going to be quite an easy, quite an easy path to heaven. I'm a king's kid after all. And don't the earthly king's kid live in palaces? And when you read the book of Revelation, you see something different that can confuse believers. I mean, we see some of the believers impacting by the judgments of Christ, don't we? When famine, when Jesus sends famine to our earth, are believers impacted by that, God's judgments? And so the book of Revelation really helps us to understand the redemption that the Lord Jesus has purchased for us. He purchases us not out of trials and tribulations. He purchases us and saves us through the trials and tribulations that we find in the book of Revelation. What we even find in the book of Revelation 
is that the Lord Jesus Christ calls some of his children to give their very life for him. Look at Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. This is the fifth seal that is opened. When he opened the fifth seal, so this is Christ doing this. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Do you see what Jesus, he's redeeming these people, but he's calling them to give their lives for him, to show the world that he is worthy even of our very life. In the 20th century, 30 million believers gave their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. The same amount as what has been given, uh, the same number of martyrs from the first century through to the 19th century. We don't feel it necessarily here, but the world is antagonistic towards Christianity. Believers are being persecuted. What the book of Revelation is saying is that's not other people killing believers and Christ, oops, he got there too late because he's running last in the race. What this is telling us is that Christ is Lord of redemption, but some of the redemption that he calls people to is through giving their lives for him. It's not the beast and the false prophet who are holding sway here. Look at the language. There's a deliberateness. Christ tells those, rest a little longer until those who must still be slain, who will give testimony to my worth until I have brought them in. Do you see the type of redemption? We don't go to bed. We don't go to heaven on a bed of roses and on a mattress. We go through sometimes difficulties. What about if we're not called to be martyrs? Well, we've seen that in the book of Revelation, there are general judgments from Christ. Famine, we have just seen that. The third seal, famine goes into the world. So I'm not going to read it for you. Acts chapter 11, we find that famine hit Judah and that whole area of Palestine. What happened to believers? Were they exempt? No, they were not exempt. They suffered hunger. As a deliberate act of Christ, so that they could bear witness to the world that they loved their Savior more than the gifts that he gave them. So Christ had a purpose in it. It's not out of his control. But what else happens in Acts chapter 11? When that happens and the believers in Judea haven't got food, the rest of the church that has got food mobilizes, collects money and food, and sends it to the people, the believers in Judea, so that those churches bear witness to the world that we love Christ and we love his children and we are prepared to give what we have 
for them. So Christ is in that all. He is Lord of redemption. And it explains, though, why in the book of Revelation we see still difficulties and hardship. It's because the Lord Jesus Christ is redeeming us through the trials and tribulations of this world. And so, let us close. This, this vision of Revelation chapter 5 needs to be constantly in our hearts and minds as we look at the world around us. In fact, this vision demands that we ask and answer two questions of ourselves. The first one is this. So will you be ashamed of Jesus Christ in this world? We have a world that is antagonistic towards the Lord Jesus Christ and believers. In many circles, if you're known to be a believer, you'll be mocked and ridiculed as somebody who is stupid or narrow-minded. John, when he saw this vision of the glorious Christ, do you think he would ever be ashamed again of his Savior? He has seen who Christ is sitting in heaven, enthroned, the whole universe, worshipping and magnifying his glory. Be ashamed of Christ. Never. And yet, don't we often do that as believers? And so this vision is given to give us boldness and courage as believers in this world. So are you ashamed of Christ this morning? How are you confessing him to the world around you? It must be based on this vision here, a bold confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world doesn't know who Christ is. They haven't seen this vision. We have because we've seen it through scripture and it must embolden us. Are you confessing the Lord Jesus Christ boldly because you see who he is, the glorified, exalting, exalted Christ. Second question that you need to answer. Are you a fearful, timid Christian? It's thinking maybe dodge the devil and get to heaven might be a good church to attend. You, you focused more on self-preservation, on keeping life easy, uh, not getting too involved, uh, in the things of God, just cruising, and maybe my, my ride to heaven will be comfortable. This, this passage calls us to forsake lukewarmness and double-mindedness and to be counted for Christ and to serve him. This glorious vision is given to stir us up to boldness and confidence and to give our all for our Savior. I pray that the Lord would bless you and me as we are inspired by this vision to boldness, sacrifice, and devotion for our glorious Lord. Amen. Oh, let me pray to give the band also a chance to get up to the front. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, we are not able to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ as we ought to. And we fear that we 
have not lived with the glory of Christ reigning in our hearts, controlling our actions. And so we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would embolden us to a life devoted to our Savior. He is glorious, enthroned. When people look at us, may they see that we believe in a glorious Christ. Amen.